Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. Do I have what it takes to make it? It's a question everybody asks at one time or another, whether it's a relationship or a job or some goal they have in mind or something they would like to see accomplished. Am I smart enough? Am I strong enough? Do I have the right qualities? If I only had more money, if I only had this, if I only had that. It's a dilemma that every human being faces. Some very often face this question. Please listen to this clip about fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also, and that means with the he is love. Not the walls. Regulated by how he used to be. Not what will be, but we love each other as he is in this world. Now, there is no fear in love. By the same token, there is no love in fear. And human minds are continually saturated with insecurities in their compound expression derivating back to the fall of Adam. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, Adam said, We hid because we were afraid. Fear entered into Adam's heart when love left it. Sin canceled out the vertical love. And fear took its place. And Adam said, we were afraid and therefore we hid. There was no love in his fear. Now I want you to see that light dispels darkness. And life takes over death. And light dispels darkness. And love dispels fear. Would it be possible for a person in this universe to live without fear? And what does it mean when it says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling in Philippians 2, 12 and 13? What does it mean when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge in Proverbs 1, 7? That's another kind of fear. That is not a fear that hath torment. That is not a fear that brings condemnation. That is not a fear related to guilt. That's a fear of hurting Perfect love. It's a fear of hurting perfect love that will not respond negatively to the one that does it. And the love is so perfect that it will not impute sin, that it will not be offended. And true godly fear in the only context given in God's word fears hurting Perfect love, because love is so perfect and will not respond to it with any negative response, but will go right on loving. 
And fear hates to hurt perfect love. But that's the only kind of fear I am to have. I am not to have a fear that has torment or guilt or condemnation as a child of God. I am only to have a fear of hurting love or a fear of the Lord in Hebrews 5, 7, which we discovered recently was a fear of a death that didn't include the cross. The fear of the Lord was the fear of death without the cross. And that's the only kind of a fear that I'm to have. A fear that I will be separated from God without the cross doing it. And that will hurt his love. And that's a reverential, sweet, kind, considerate, thoughtful fear. But I'm not to have a fear that has torment or guilt or condemnation or anxiety. That's why a true child of God doesn't believe in anything but eternal redemption in Hebrews 9.12. He doesn't believe in temporal redemption where your salvation depends upon your ability to stay in God's grace through works. But a true child of God never fears that. He knows eternal redemption is eternal. He knows that of all the Father has given the Son, he loses nothing in John 6.39. He knows that he received eternal life and it's not temporal life in John 10.28. He knows whatsoever God does, he doeth forever in Ecclesiastes 3.14. A true child of God is a recipient of divine love and divine light and divine life. Never fears God being anything but in Mutable. He knows God is immutable. He doesn't fear God canceling out his immutable attributes toward him. He knows God will never change regardless of what he does once that man has been received in Jesus Christ because he changes not in Malachi 3.6. He's immutable in Hebrews 13.8. He can trust the love of God to be immutable. The life of God to always overcome his own death, spiritual Mental, emotional, and physical. And he can trust the light of God to always win a victory over darkness. He simply can trust God without leaning unto his own understanding in Proverbs 3, 5. And therefore, totally trusting God, he can respond to God's love. And there is no love in fear. And the moment I start fearing with guilt and condemnation then there is no love in it. There is nothing but to fall in it. Because Adam said, I was afraid and I hid. Genesis 3.10 There is no love in that statement. There is guilt. There is fig leaves. There is separation from God. There is insecurity. There is incompleteness. There is no love in it. Love thinks no evil in 1 Corinthians 13.5 Love will not impute sin in Romans 4.8. Love has no fear, 1 John 4.18. Love never leans under its own understanding in Proverbs 3.5. Love is the essence of God's life and the character of God's light. Love illuminates everything outside of the essence of God's being. And even as the eternal property of life, with its agelessness, travels in to the areas of darkness. And the only reason that darkness existed is because of the absence of light. 
And the only reason that fear and guilt exist is because of the absence of light. And fear relates to darkness. And light relates to love. And even as love gives grace to overcome darkness without imputing works and gives grace and a gift of forgiveness, even so light illuminates the mind of the forgiver and love characterizes the nature of his expression to the individual living in darkness. And the darkness is overcome by light. And death is overcome by light. And love overcomes fear. And the person with his inhibitions and his fears and insecurities is liberated from the fall in which he is afraid with Adam. And he takes on the boldness in 1 John 4.17 of Jesus Christ because as he is, so are we. No longer does he live in any form of insecurity. No longer does he live in any phase of darkness because light takes it over and love takes over fear and life takes over death. He is free from himself. He's free from the fall. He's free from the world system. He's free from potentially all that he'd be around people in the world system. He's free from heredity. He's free from tradition. He's free from his social environment. He's a free man. He is no longer a servant of sin. But now he stands in the liberty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and is not entangled again with the yoke of bondage in Galatians 5.1. He's a new creature in a new creation. He's a new person with a new personality. No longer is he occupied with the masses of personalities which had dominion over his individuality that made him many individuals in the conflict of confusion as he reiterated what they were in this present world system into what he is. But now, integrated within his soul, is who God is. And he becomes one with Jesus Christ as God's individual. And the first thing that God does to him is cast out all the fear that came because of death, spiritual, that came because of the threatening death eternally and physically. And God cast out that fear first so that he realized he is as God is, and God is one who does not fear. Isaiah 42, God is not discouraged, neither is he afraid. He fears not. Now then... The psalmist said in 27, The Lord is the light of my salvation, and whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, and whom shall I be afraid? The psalmist said, since light came in, it took down all my mental blocks that darkness initiated and established, and light took down all my mental blocks so I don't have to hide behind fig leaves. I don't have to hide behind insecurities. I don't have to ever fear again. Light took over my mental blocks. No longer am I living in insecurity. Now, when light did that, I realized how weak I was. So the Lord became the strength of my life through the light that dispelled my fear. 
And then I took on the character of God, love. And the psalmist said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will not fear the evil of condemnation, the evil of guilt, the evil of insecurity, the evil of tomorrow, or the evil of the past, or the evil of the present. I will be as he is. Unchanging in my attitude. And totally liberated in my spirit. And totally filled in my soul with God. Now what does it mean there is no love in fear? If I love you, I will not fear you. Now my divine love will take care of fear in its three dimensions. The past, the present, and the future. From Adam right down to the cross. You wouldn't believe the fear that characterizes women in a home living with certain husbands. And you wouldn't believe the fear that characterizes the men around certain women. And the children around certain parents. Fear of what liquor will do. Envy will do. Jealousy will do. Nagging will do. Murmuring will do. Fear of what one another will think and what one another will say. And fear characterizes their human nature. And love is not there. And then, when one is filled with the Holy Spirit, fear is dispelled and love casts out fear. And then what is the relationship like? Well, darkness is gone. We can be transparent. Death is gone. We don't fear the unknown. Fear is gone. We have no insecurities. We live as he is. And how is he living? He's seated at the right hand of God. He's finished the work. And because he said it is finished in John 19.30, he's resting. Not in a day, but in an eternal day. Not on a Saturday or on a Sunday, but in the eternal day of Psalm 118, verse 4. This is the day the Lord is made. Rejoice ye in it. No longer are we confined to seven days and seven nights. Now we're in what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. And what is the day of the Lord? The day when ever since the Lord triumphed over sin, over death, over the devil, over demons, over hell, over us, with the cross and buried us. Now we're living in the day of the Lord's mind, in the day of the Lord's emotions, in the day of the Lord's love, in the day of the Lord's will as a Christian community. And by the grace of God, we have no fears because there's no room for fear in eternity. And we're living in the eternal is in this world of God. And there's no room for darkness because light always comes in and dispels it. And there's no room for death. Because whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this in John 11:25? We've been quickened and made alive by Jesus Christ. No longer does a child of God live in submission to the devil or self or the world or to the flesh. He has truly been liberated. He will not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage with self and sin and the devil paralyzes his potential with 
with the innermost being of frustration. No longer will he be cast down. No longer is he the tail in Deuteronomy. Now he's the head. No longer is he on bottom. He's in heavenly places. No longer can Satan have dominion over him. He has the title deed and he has dominion over the devil. No longer does the law and rule and the flesh rule him. Now grace does. He is free indeed because the Son of God has made him free. Free from death and free from fear. Fear which comes from death and darkness. There is no love in fear. When Abraham was asked by God to t kill his only son that he waited so long for, Genesis chapter 22, he didn't fear. He offered Isaac on the altar and he didn't fear. Why? Because there is no love in fear and he was so filled with love there was no room for fear. He so trusted God there was no room for distrust. What is the best way for a man to walk in the eternal is? To walk as he is in what he says through who he sent, the Holy Spirit, in the protection that he's given the corporate body. And that's why I may say tonight that rarely would I ever advise anyone to leave a living body unless they're grounded the most important thing for you, if you ever get away from the body without maturity, without knowledge, Satan will shoot you down so fast that you won't even begin to know who shot you. There is no fullness outside of those that manifest Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see something tonight. How can I get a victory over the flesh? By talking about it, we said in the introduction, no. By analyzing it, no. How can I get victory over the flesh as a Christian? By simply walking in the Spirit. How can I get victory over fear? By simply walking in love. Ephesians 5.2 says walk in love. Galatians 5.16 says walk in the Spirit. What is the best way to live in victory? Walk in creative objectivity. Jesus Christ is resting because the work is finished. And I'm resting with him because the work is finished. Jesus Christ has much more to do, but in his mind it's already done. I have much more to do, but I have the mind of Christ as far as faith goes. It's already done. There is no fear. No matter what happened, it doesn't disturb the plan of God because God is all-powerful. No matter what happens to me, it doesn't disturb me because it's going to work out for good and God is all powerful. I have no fear because I know one that absolutely has total control of every single thing that happens and he's living inside of me. And therefore, by the grace of God, how do I get victory over the flesh? By walking in the spirit. How do I get victory over fear? By walking in love. How do I get victory over my weakness by walking in God's strength. How do I get victory over darkness by walking in the light? I don't sit around talking about darkness or death or fear like hundreds and thousands do. I just simply walk 
in life, in love, in the spirit, and in life. And that takes care of the negatives. Why sit around talking about the negatives? Why not just walk in the positives? Why analyze why it happened? Why not enter into what was done about it? Why waste your time wondering why Charlie did it? Why not get Charlie to enter into who took care of what he did? Why analyze what makes you fear? Why not just walk in the one that took care of it once and for all as a gift of grace because of love and is willing to give you the light of it to illuminate your mind? Why spend any time rationalizing when all you have to do is realize God? Listen, the Word of God makes it clear that darkness can do nothing against the light except yield to it. Fear can do nothing against love except to be overcome by it and cast out. And death cannot do a single thing to eternal life except yield to it. When Jesus Christ raised people from the dead, he said, come forth. And death was taken over in a second by the resurrection power of life. It's not a process. It's a moment of instantaneous faith in Jesus Christ's power, life, love, and word. It doesn't take time. It takes people who live in the eternal is in time. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com. What a great message about fear and love, wasn't it? Our own sufficiency. Uh, maybe the older we get, the more we've gone through life, the more we realize when we're over the stage of being a young person where by default you sort of think that you're invincible. But we all come up against brick walls in our life, don't we? Unchangeable situations, difficulties where... Our resources seem very limited to the task at hand. The scripture has answers for these questions for us. And it's important that we have them because if these questions are not answered, or they're answered incorrectly, then fear will be our primary motivator. Because we'll be afraid of the consequences of not having what it takes. We'll begin to either try to manipulate the situation or look to manipulate others within the situation to make things tolerable, to get to a certain end, to accomplish that which needs to be accomplished. But fear is never the motivator in the kingdom of God. And that's important to understand. Because if we look at God like we look at people, like we've seen the examples in our lives of different people, we may have that misunderstanding. And it does talk in the scriptures about having a fear of God and a fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This emotion that it's speaking about is in terms of having a loving relationship with God. And that fear is a reverent awe. And as it was explained in the, in the message, it's, we really, we, we have a trepidation of, we don't want to hurt love. We don't want to hurt God. God has been so good to us. We're, we're in so 
amazed by his power, his majesty. We're not afraid of him because we fear of what he's going to do to us, but instead we are in awe of of his presence. And because we have a loving relationship where his kindness has been extended to us, that law, that fear translates quickly into honor. We have great honor for God and for his plan and for his person. And we don't want to hurt that relationship or hurt him. But how do we answer the question? How do we answer the question, do we have what it takes? And if it were us all by ourselves, the culture around us is is geared towards this idea of natural selection. These television shows, they show people, and the best person wins. The strongest singer wins. The strongest dancer. In these reality shows, the one with the best personality. But in God's economy, that is not how it functions. And this is a very human, human environment geared in the cosmos and centered in the, around the fall. It fuels this attitude that I must be better, I must be stronger than the next person, or I won't make it. In Matthew 11.28, it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We yoke up with the Lord. We yoke up with Jesus Christ. What what does that mean? Is there a burden to be carried? Yes, there is. Is there work to be done? There was plenty of work to be done in the field. The wise farmer yoked animals together who could bear the weight together. And that yoke was designed in such a way that it would fall easily on the shoulders of the animal that was yoked. Here we're yoked up with an all-powerful, omnipotent, all-knowing, all-wise God who knows the end from the beginning. But it is our choice whether we'll be yoked with him. We, we, by our will, we join together with God and we become co-laborers with him. That is an amazing privilege. In 1 Corinthians 15.10 it says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed on me, was not in vain. And he was able to labor more abundantly because he operated from a place of rest. That creative objectivity, I love that. When I say God is sufficient, and therefore I am sufficient for what he's called me to do, it's within the context of this idea that I am at rest now. Christ has done all that needs to be done on the cross for my salvation. He is all that he needed to be to please the Father. The Father was very well pleased with his Son, and now we, as believers in Christ, are seated in him in heavenly places. And the only way the Father ever associates with us is through the Son. This is not unusual for the Trinity. The only way the Trinity ever has a relationship with the other members of the Trinity are all together as one. They are one. This is one God, a unified God. And we are now unified in Christ in that relationship. 
In Hebrews 2.15, it says that this is part of the mission that God has, is to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And outside of this question of a relationship with God, of God's sufficiency for the situation, and because we are called by God, that we are commissioned ones, that we are sufficient, we have the sufficient resources to accomplish whatever task God has deemed for us to do. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com So I ask you again, do, do you have what it takes to make it in life? Do you, do you have what it takes to make it to heaven? Not without Jesus Christ you don't. You could be the most morally upstanding person, the kindest, gentlest person the most noble, full of integrity, that everyone would look at and say, wow, they should go to heaven. And without the sufficiency that is in Jesus Christ, you will not make it. But there's good news. And that good news is that you don't have to make it on your own. As a matter of fact, the whole system was designed in such a way that you don't need to make it on your own. You don't need to be on your own anymore. You can have a relationship with God. God wants you to have a relationship with him and then have the resources that you need through him and his kingdom and his great supply. So would you receive Christ as your Savior? If you have not yet done so, you need to. You need to. And now is a great opportunity for you to do that. That perfect love that casts out fear, that life that is in Jesus Christ. When you believe in him, when you believe in what he's done on your behalf, that he died, he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, to be your sufficiency, to give you beauty for ashes, when you believe and accept that transaction as being on your account, then God does something in your life. You have faith, and God reaches in and saves you. He transforms you. He ignites your spirit and makes you alive. Pray with me now. Lord Jesus, you were sufficient. You are sufficient. Clearly, death could not hold you because you were so sufficient. So I pray that you would come into my life, that you would save me, that you would cast fear out of my life, that you would do a work in me. I've relied on my own sufficiency my whole life. Now I cast myself on you. And I would receive that salvation that's being offered through the scriptures.